Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. For years, Minky Couture has been donating blankets to NICUs across the country. Owner Sandy Henry's grandson was born at 30 weeks, and she placed a mini blanket in her grandson's incubator. We want to help other NICU families with the Heart of Minky program. For every adult-sized blanket purchased, Minky Couture will donate a mini-sized blanket to NICUs across the nation. Thanks to you, we can fulfill our dream to blanket the world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for October 26, 2017. Today in the news, we're going to be talking about American Vandal Season 2, Justice League box office tracking, more Veronica Mars, Stranger Things after show that isn't an after show, a Bad Boys TV spinoff, and returning members for the family for Fast and the Furious 9. And in the mailbag, we're going to answer the question, is dynamic pricing the future of movie going? And in the water cooler, Ben's going to be talking about your name. This is Peter Sorota, and on today's podcast, joining me are Ben Pearson. Hey, what's up? And Huay Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. How's it going, guys? Let's, let's start this off with... um with a brief water cooler because I know Ben saw a movie recently that he wanted to discuss. Ben, what did you say? Yeah, just briefly, uh, I wanted to talk to HT real quick about your name, which is, uh, an anime film that she recommended on the podcast. Um, it's probably been maybe a month ago at this point, but I finally got a chance to check it out. I was flying back, uh, to LA from Kansas city and saw that it was on, uh, available on the flight. So, I watch this movie, even though I know nothing about anime films and am certainly, you know, like wildly ignorant when it comes to that entire uh, medium of story to- storytelling. But HT's uh, description of your name had me so intrigued that I figured I'd dive in and check this thing out. Um, I have to admit, for the first, I don't know, half of the movie, I was a little unsure about it still. I was like, I don't know about this. But by the time... Um, a big moment happens and I'm not really going to give much of the plot away because I also want as many people as possible to see this film. Uh, by the time a big moment happens, maybe halfway through, maybe a little bit more than that, 
I was like completely emotionally hooked and invested in a way that I did not foresee with these characters. And uh, I ended up crying at the end of the movie. I was like so moved that this film, um, it, it really took me by surprise. So uh, I just wanted to say a quick thanks to HT for recommending your name and, and sort of try to pass that, uh, you know, pay it forward and pass that along to anybody who is listening, who uh, is interested in and maybe even not interested in checking it out, I would I would highly recommend it. I'm so happy you liked it. Yeah, I don't think that your name, uh, I think your name is a very easy movie to go into if you are not familiar with anime. Um, so it doesn't really abide by a lot of the uh, sort of landmarks of anime that kind of put people off of it. So I'm so happy you liked it, Ben. Yeah, it was really cool. And I still have, I'm a bad host. I still have not seen this. Uh, But anybody that wants a reason to go see this, if you need a reason to go see this, other than hearing it is great, or one of the best movies of the year from two of the podcast hosts here, uh, you know, J.J. Abrams is developing a remake of this. So if you want to be ahead of the curve and you want to be like, oh, I liked it back when it was this Japanese anime, you know, go, go check it out now. Uh, yeah, and HT actually wrote a really good article about uh, sort of grappling with that potential remake and like what that would gonna what that was gonna be. And I read that piece, and then I watched this movie knowing that this remake was coming. And I I think I sort of agree with uh, one of the latter points that HT made in that piece, where I was like, with this with this uh, remake being from the uh, writer of Arrival, I was like, man, I can really see this uh, you know an Americanized version of this story turning out really really well uh, because. The way that the emotions sort of um, take over the story late in the film, uh, it reminded me a lot of Arrival. So I, I think there's definitely a lot of potential there. Okay, let's jump into the news. First up in the news, American Vandal has gotten renewed for season two. I know HT and Ben, both of you are huge fans of this. I have yet to see it. Uh, what is this show? Because a lot of people probably <laughs> it might not be on a lot of people's <laughs> radar. Oh, my God, Peter, you have to watch the show. It's pretty amazing. HG, do you want to like run down what it is? Oh, uh, sure. So American Vandal is a mockumentary series that is basically a send up of all the true con- true crime documentaries that have become a huge phenomenon lately. Serial, uh, the Jinx, I think. Yeah, and uh, Murderer. Uh, making a murder, tons of others. And it basically takes this very self-serious premise and puts it onto the most inane subject, which is this case of 27 penises uh, drawn or spray painted onto cars at a high school. And so it it's presented from the point of view of these high school filmmakers who try to do a sort of true crime documentary of this one guy who's kind of this um, burnout at this high school and everyone thinks he's, he did it, but they try to approach it from a very serious manner and they go through every episode with a very uh, scrutinizing detail on all of the penis drawings and all of the circumstances surrounding it. And it turns out to be a, quite a compelling piece of work and you end up being gross in it just wondering who drew the dicks (laughs) yeah it's it's really fantastic so today they announced that season two is definitely happening um they released a a quick announcement video and this uh second season is going to be on netflix sometime in 2018 um the same uh co-creators and showrunner are going to be coming back for the second season they haven't really said much about 
um, what exactly the story is going to be this time around. It seems like it's going to be a different um, tale, not necessarily picking up the threads of where they left off last time. Um, but it does seem like, thanks to the voiceover that we hear in this announcement video, that Peter Maldonado, who is the sophomore documentarian within the world of the show, who's played by an actor named Tyler Alvarez, is going to be back, um, you know, sort of leading the charge again, perhaps on a different case this time around. So uh, I'm interested to see what they do here, because the first season was so singular in the way that it um, sort of sent up the tropes of the true true crime mockumentary, you know, uh, documentary genre. And I don't know if they're going to be able to recapture that same um, sort of surprise that came with how well they recreated stylistically a lot of these storytelling elements. So now that like we know sort of what to expect from it, I wonder if they're going to pivot and, and sort of um, tackle a different type of documentary approach to it or if they're really going to just double down on that and, and it won't be as funny. But the part of uh, American Vandal that's so great is the premise is hilarious and and a lot of the, the show is very funny, but the character work is so good. You actually get legitimately engrossed in what's going on and like genuinely interested in solving the mystery that this presents, even though it is incredibly inane and, and really stupid. Uh, you sort of get sucked in. I, I was like, there's no way that they're going to be able to um, justify uh, eight half hour episodes of this based on what the premise is, but they really do. And I, I can't wait to see what they do for season two. Yeah, there's some surprisingly authentic characterization going on uh, with the the depiction of high school uh, society and like high school peer pressure and all that kind of thing. And the ending kind of hits you with an emotional gut punch. I won't spoil it, but it's surprisingly poignant. Yeah, definitely. Justice League is approaching us, uh, and we now have the early box office tracking. HD, what, what, what is Justice League going to make at the box office? So the industry estimates for the Justice League box office tracking uh, shows that it will be have an opening of 110 to 120 million uh, in U.S. and Canadian theaters. So these estimates don't come from Warner Brothers, but from industry insiders. And they're partially based on the ticket sales for Justice League, which just went on sale last night, uh, Wednesday night. So this will put it on sort of the lower end of the opening weekend spectrum for some of the DC films. Uh, it's higher than what Wonder Woman made at, it op at its opening, but of course Wonder Woman went on to become the highest grossing DC film uh, at the end of the summer. So it's not an indicator of how successful this movie will be. Um, it does pit it against um, Thor Ragnarok, which also comes out in November, so both of them will be kind of uh, battling it out for which movie can rule the roost in in the November season. So, yeah. Now, 120 sounds short of what I would think a Justice League movie could make. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, could they be that off? I mean, they were off with Wonder Woman a huge bit, right? Like the tracking for yeah. that was, what, half of what it was or something? It was. Yeah, I wonder if it's because of all the news of the embattled production that's been going on throughout the making of Justice League that has this on the lower end. Um, Batman v Superman made uh, an opening weekend gross of 166 million, about, and that's the highest amount. So it's possible with even more characters in this ensemble movie could make around that amount as well. So who knows? I feel like it's sort of 
it has been hindered by a lot of the news that has uh, kind of swirled around it. But we haven't seen early reviews yet that might uh, have an impact on early projections. So we'll see. Yeah, yeah that- this could be a case of them um, under promising and over delivering, you know, like mm-hmm. not wanting to look foolish by saying, oh, yeah, we're going to make the same as Batman versus Superman. But then ultimately, of course, being happy when, it, you know, if that does happen. So mm-hmm. it could be just, you know, people trying to cover their asses, basically. Yeah. For sure. Uh, next up in the news, uh, Kristen Bell is saying that Veronica Mars is going is going to happen. More Veronica Mars is going to happen. Uh, she said this during a phone call during an event uh, uh, that The Verge was at. And basically, uh, she says that she's had talks with series creator Rob Thomas. And uh, they, they email every couple months about it. And, quote, personally, I think, and I think Rob probably agrees, is A, will never make the fans pay for it again, and B, the format works better as an episodic TV series. Um, now, that said, she also said had a quote saying basically that uh, if I have to do it as murder, she wrote, at 80, we're going to do it. It's going to happen. So it sounds like it's going to happen, but this isn't, you know, it's not going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> it's not in the works right now. Uh, as a Veronica Mars fan, I was kind of disappointed i was very disappointed by the movie that came out um and uh i I really think that show ended when it needed to end as much as i wanted more of it ht what what are your thoughts yeah i was a huge veronica mars super fan too and the the movie disappointed me i think i even donated to the campaign for it like the kickstarter and uh, i was a little disappointed that they kind of neutered the character of logan and it seemed sort of like a longer version of one of their more average mysteries. So I wouldn't mind Veronica Mars coming back to television, uh, maybe having a web series or something. I I like, I miss the series. I miss having Kristen Bell as this sort of uh, hard-boiled Nancy Drew type character. And she was really a very unique female character that we don't see a lot recently, although we see some, some of it in Riverdale. But um, yeah, I, I miss Veronica Mars. I, I'd always welcome it back. Yeah. Uh, Netflix, get on it. Um, (laughs) Next up in the news, speaking of Netflix, they have announced a Stranger Things after show that is not really an after show. HT, what do we know? Yeah. So um, Netflix is launching Beyond Stranger Things, which is a seven episode after show program hosted by superfan Jim Rash, who you may know as the Dean Community or as the Oscar winning screenwriter of The Descendants. So he will be hosting this uh, program, which is will supposedly automatically play after you watch the final episode of season two. And it comes with a cautionary warning to viewers to not watch it before you've finished season two because it has spoilers within the after show, which is a little bit odd because you always think of an after show as happening immediately after the episode in question in which you can discuss what happened in the events there, talk to the directors, talk to the actors who were uh, participated in that episode. But here it's just like a seven episode long like special feature for you know the nine hour movie that is Stranger Things too. Now, do, do you either of you watch after shows? I watch them for uh, I think Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul has an after show I watch, and I really mm-hmm. like them. Uh, and I 
and Chris, Chris Hardwick seems to host all of them that are good, all the good ones. I tried watching that Star Trek after show, and it was, boy. Uh, um, anyways, uh, the I, I, I just can't imagine sitting down and watching seven episodes of an after show because the whole point of the after show, by the, by the time I've seen a whole season of, by the time I've binge watched a whole season of Stranger Things, and I'm having conversations about it. People are mentioning things that happened in the first and second episode, which I don't even recall because I have a bad memory. Mm. So I'm not sure an after show will work for me. That part of the after show is kind of uh, analyzing those moments after, you know, as they happen and kind of, you know, building towards where things are going. What, what do you guys think? Yeah, I'm right there with you. I Jim Rash is really great. Um, I mean, just as a, a writer and an actor, he's a fun presence. He actually hosted a talk show called The Writer's Room a couple years ago. Uh, I think it went for two seasons in 2013 and 2014, where he sat down with, um, you know, people like Vince Gilligan and, and the creators of Breaking Bad and then, you know, the guys who run Game of Thrones and American Horror Story and Parks and Rec and a bunch of shows like that. Um, was this the one where, on Nerdist? Uh, no, this is like a real, uh, like okay. a full on um, show. I think it was on like the Sundance channel, um, wow. which is a weird TV network that I think a lot of people have but don't really realize is a real <laughs> channel. It's it's up there in the, the weird numbering uh, areas that's not really easy to find. But anyway, that show was really enjoyable and he did a good job as a host. He's a good sort of moderator. So I, I think the dynamic of the show itself will be fine. But I'm right there with you, Peter. I just don't understand the idea of watching a full season and then going back and watching, um, you know, a discussion of what happened in the first episode, like you're way beyond that at that point. I, I'm, I'm not sure why they decided to, to structure it this way, but I don't know, maybe it'll work. Maybe this will mark some sort of, uh, beginning of a whole bunch of after shows for Netflix series where they're going to do the same thing this way. Um, I don't know if they're just trying to avoid having people interrupt the flow of binge watching one show, um, but it, it seems weird to me. It would be interesting if at the end of each episode, you know how like, I'm not sure if it happens on all platforms, but on Apple TV, when the credits come on, it like has a button to like, you know, skip the credits and go right to the next episode. And, mm -hmm. um, it'd be interesting if there was two buttons, you know, you could go to the after show or the next episode and, and it gives you a choice. I doubt Netflix wants that, um, mm -hmm. cause they don't want anybody deterred in their, in their binging. Um, right. I remember HT said in the Slack, she said, what if this is just like um, like bonus features for this television season? And it's not really an after show. It's it, bonus features disguised as an after show. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, I would love to get bonus features on Netflix. That's one thing I'm missing on Netflix. But I'm not sure if I need it in the form of an after show. Yeah. Seven episodes seems... Um excessive if it is like a, a sort of bonus feature uh series or something so i don't know it's it's very strange it's strange enough that it's an after show for a bingeable series and um we'll see it's probably like netflix's pilot for after show programming if that does exist um and stranger things is one of their most buzzworthy shows so it it feels i guess right to attach it on to stranger things for sure uh, another TV show in development is another big screen movie idea coming to the small screen, uh, but this is in the form of a spinoff. It's Bad Boys, uh, uh, Bad Boys TV spinoff, 
starring Gabrielle Union. Ben, what do we know about this? Yeah, so Bad Boys 2 came out in 2003, so that was a long time ago, and they've been talking about making a Bad Boys 3 movie for years and years, like ever since then, basically, but it's been all down to getting the right people involved, Martin Lawrence, Will Smith, um, Jerry Bruckheimer, finding a writer and director, I think um, the guy who directed Smoke and Aces, what is his name, Joe Carnahan, was involved at one point in making the movie, but then he ended up leaving it. It's called Bad Boys for Life, but that project is sort of like floating in the ether right now. Nobody really knows what the latest is with that, but it sounds like a Bad Boys TV spinoff is now in the works, and it's going to center on Gabrielle Union's character. Uh, she plays, what is her name, Sydney Sid Burnett, who is the sister of Martin Lawrence's Marcus Burnett. And I mean, in Bad Boys... such a memorable character that you had to look <laughs> up the name. Yes. Well, uh, the thing is, Gabrielle Union is really good. I find her to be an underrated actress, and I so I like the idea that she's going to be headlining a show. I just am not convinced that a Bad Boys spinoff where she is reprising her role as the DEA agent is the best thing. And especially because it's coming from Brandon Margolis and Brandon Sonye, who are the writers behind The Blacklist. And I'm just not crazy about that show. Um, And then then what what do you call this show? Bad Girl? Bad girls. I, yeah, it's it's still untitled, but yeah, who knows? And and you know the likelihood of Martin Lawrence or Will Smith sort of dropping by. Well, I guess it's a lot more likely that Martin Lawrence would drop by than, than <laughs> Will Smith, but um, but the likelihood that Will Smith drops by seems pretty slim. Um, I mean, obviously he got his start in TV, but it seems like he's pretty busy these days. So. I, yeah, I'm I'm just not completely sold on this. But again, I, I love Gabrielle Union. I feel like she deserves a shot. I just wish it was for something that I was more personally excited about. I, I, I agree with that. I think that there are teams of executives and at, at all these studios being like, what movies can we, you know, turn into our next uh, television production? And they're, you know, they're searching their archives. And it, it's weird here because I can definitely see a bad boys television show, but I, I'm not sure if a spinoff makes any sense because you're, you're using a character who, I don't think is the one of the most memorable parts of that franchise, and you're not going to be able to use Bad Boys as a title on this TV show, as far as I can tell. So it, it just seems like a, a lose-lose to me, aside from, you know, Gabrielle Union getting a TV show. Yeah, it's a weird one. Um, also in the news, Fast and the Furious 9 has some returning returning family members. HD, what do we know? So Fast and Furious 9 will see a family reunion, you might say. Um, the director for Fast and Furious 9 has been sort of unofficially announced by star Vin Diesel, who uh, started streaming a Facebook Live on the set of Fast and Furious 9. And he revealed that the director will be Justin Lin, who directed uh, Fast and Furious 3 through 7. Uh, he's the one who sort of revitalized the franchise after it was getting a little sluggish after the second movie and he kind of transformed it into this high stakes heist franchise. Um, and he left after Furious 7 and which after which James Wan directed um, Fate of no, yeah, Fate of the Furious. No. Sorry. <laughs> James Wan was Furious 7, I think. Right? James yeah. Wan was Furious 7. Sorry. <laughs> 
Let the me freaking study. naming naming conventions of this series are so ridiculous. <laughs> okay. Um, he left after Furious 6, um, after which James Wan directed Furious 7, and F. Gary Gray directed Fate of the Furious. Um, and another returning member, which Vin Diesel also announced during his very interesting Facebook Live, uh, is Jordana Brewster who played Mia Toretto in the series. She first appeared in the first movie and appeared in every film until Furious 7, uh, after which she left with uh, Paul Walker's character. The, both of their characters were written, were written off after Paul Walker uh, passed away. So it's going to be a return to sort of the old, getting the old gang back together again. And Vin Diesel seems very excited. Um, it's not official that Lynn will be re- directing uh, Fast and Furious 9, but um, he, Vin Diesel seems to imply that he'll be there for 9 and possibly 10, which will be the last movie in the Fast and Furious franchise. Yeah, right. Um, it should be mentioned <laughs> that this wasn't uh, this video wasn't recorded on the set of Fast and Furious 9. That has not begun production. Uh, it's coming out in 2020. Um, but I think if Lynn is back, I don't see any, any reason for Jordan Brewster's character to be back, but whatever um if Lynn is back he has done some of the best installments of the series ben i know you're a big fan what do you think of this yeah this is like a best case scenario for me this is what i've been wanting for the you know from the start as soon as he left the the franchise i've been wanting him to come back to sort of um close it out and and i think uh (laughs) peter you you express some doubt that fast 10 will be the final entry but i think that's going to be the final entry with this cast as we know it um you know they very well could go on and do you know sequels to the spin-offs and all that kind of stuff but um but i think 10 is is sort of intended to be you, the you, bookmark. you don't think 10 years down the line when vin diesel is not getting any you know riddick movies being made that he's not going to go back to universal and be like Look, you know this franchise that we can make tons of money <laughs> off of? Let's do a reunion. It'll be Fast and the Furious 11, the family reunites or something. You know, we'll see. We'll see a new Fast and Furious franchise headed by the little baby from Fate of the Furious. <laughs> yeah, I would not be surprised if if that and, – and that's the thing is I feel like Vin Diesel would absolutely come back for something like that. But I, I like to think that as a producer and sort of a an architect of the story here, he knows – when to uh when to call it a day and then you know not to outlive his welcome and then again as i'm saying as these words are coming out of my mouth i realize (laughs) i'm talking about vin diesel here so god who knows who knows what could happen but in any case i am very excited if indeed justin lynn does come back because i do think he's the best director of uh the the franchise you know has the most um personally at stake and and the most sort of tied to this franchise uh, as a filmmaker. So I'm, I'm very excited uh, at the potential of him coming back. And as, as my per- hope. Oh, go ahead. Uh, my hope is that with Justin Lin coming back, he'll also bring back his best character, Han. Oh, yeah. No, I was just going to say that. I was going to say, he, you know, he originated Tokyo Drift. Uh, maybe we'll get some justice for Han finally. Justice. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. That does it for the news in the mailbag. Um, we don't have actually a letter from you guys today, but we do have a story on the site that is about dynamic movie pricing. I wrote this article. Uh, Regal Cinemas is bringing dynamic movie pricing to theaters. Why this is a great idea. So I, I thought it would be a good uh, topic of discussion between us. Um, just to give you an idea of what they're they're saying, Regal Cinemas uh, – 
it's one of the big uh, cinema chains out there, has announced that they're going to start testing dynamic movie pricing. And what Regal CEO Amy Miles says is that they're going to experiment with a pricing model that drives incremental revenue in peak periods and incremental attendance in non-peak periods. Now, it's very unclear what that means. Uh, she says uh, changes to the historical pricing structure have often been discussed but rarely tested in our industry, and we're excited to learn even more about how pricing changes uh, impact customer behavior, or how pricing changes impact customer behavior. Um, I theorize that this means that maybe it'll be more like the matinee model where, like, you know, weekday nights and weekdays, like pricing, depending on what the historical uh, busyness of a theater is, might be cheaper to go see a movie during those times. It might be more expensive to go see a movie on Friday night or the weekend. Uh, Bloomberg uh, suggests that this might be uh, basically that they might have higher prices for movies that are in demand. So, you know, opening weekend weekend of Star Wars Episode Nine, you're going to have to pay, you know, 30 bucks to go see it. But, uh, you know, Blade Runner, no one's going to see Blade Runner. So you could you could see that for five bucks. Um, so I was wondering what, what you guys think of this. Do you guys have any thoughts on could dynamic movie pricing be the future of cinemas? HG, go ahead. Um. I'm all for having cheaper movie prices, but it does concern me that this dynamic it's a pricing, double-sided coin. It is. Day. It's a it's a double-edged sword. So it could mean for higher uh, movie prices for the more successful movies. But I do wonder how Movie Pass could or services like Movie Pass could come to play with this, which basically sort of render all these ticket prices at a level playing field. So um, I. I'm not sure. Uh, I think that dynamic pricing does make some sense in a time when movie prices are getting more and more expensive. So I would welcome seeing some movies for cheaper, even if it means seeing some for more price, more more expensive prices. Yeah, I feel like if they capped the uh, the price at you know I don't know let's say let's just say maybe like three dollars more than the most expensive movie ticket right now at any given uh, theater, then I would be more apt to be sort of open and excited about this. But I do feel like it's going to result in exactly what Peter said, where you're going to end up paying way more to see something like Star Wars on opening night. And like the idea of, you know, we're trying to get more people into theaters and yeah, you can um, lower the prices during the week and sort of spread things out. And maybe you'll pull in people who would, were reluctant to pay full price if they know that they'll have a discount, you know, if they go on a Wednesday night, for example. But I think movie going is such a um, and especially the way that Hollywood works right now, it's so event driven, right? And and creating events and then for for theaters and, and stuff like that to create then create barriers to attending those events seems counterproductive almost. Um, it's, it's almost like they're they're Cause think about a family, right? Like, you know, or just, just, you know, a husband and wife or something like it's not just $30. It, that turns into 60. So it's, you know, this is something that we've been talking about for a long time, but 
And by um, the way, that that price, that thirty dollar price, that was just me making up a number. That wasn't. Of uh, course, of yeah. course, but but I don't think that's too far off, especially for you know opening night of a huge movie. And those are exactly the kinds of experiences that um, that people seek out when they go to you know like um it's we're almost at Halloween, so like horror movies, for example. Think about seeing Get Out just in an empty theater on a Tuesday versus seeing it, you know, on opening weekend with like the excitement of a crowd in the room. I, I just don't like the idea of um, penalizing customers for wanting that experience. Um, you know, the theatrical experience in itself is like has degraded so much with texting and all that stuff. So many distractions out there. Um, it's hard enough to get people to want to go to movies See, but uh, I, I think I, I'm going to play the devil's advocate here. I think that this would help the movie going experience because, you know, when I go to an opening night of a movie, when I went to see Blade Runner when, on opening night in Burbank, um, it was like a catastrophe. There was just so many people there. It was so crowded, uh, you know, people on their phones, you know, and, and this is that like in, you know, an IMAX theater, you know, this is like premium prices. So we're already paying what, like 20 bucks a ticket or something um in LA for that kind of experience um I, I think it would be great and most of the, honestly most of the movies I see for the most part are at uh either two things at press screenings or on non-peak uh times I'll go see a movie during the week with my movie pass or you know on the weekend like during the day when people aren't seeing movies so for me and by the way I have a movie pass which which HT mentioned, but if I didn't have a movie pass for me, I think it would be a cheaper experience to, to you know, encourage me to go to these movies during these non-peak times than to want to go with the you know the intense crowds. Um, I do wonder, like, uh, there has been a lot of talk of dynamic pricing in the past in relation to um, basing it on tiers of movies. So, uh, for example. You know, a small indie movie like The Big Sick would be cheap, a cheaper ticket price than Star Wars. Uh, what do you guys? This is not what it appears that Regal is doing. But what do you think of that? Mm, that I feel like, yeah, that's a whole different thing. I, I wonder, man, that kind of sucks for the filmmakers behind The Big Sick, doesn't it? Like, I guess theoretically, you're getting more people to go see your movie in optical uh, in optimal conditions but you're making less money but, than... but are they making less money if you sell something yeah, for I wonder a how lower much price that, yeah i wonder how much that of that goes to the studios like does that increase or decrease the um, amount that goes to uh the filmmakers for example this dynamic pricing or does that is it does it say the same yeah, that we don't know. I don't know how this whole thing would work or how I'm assuming if a, if a cinema chain is testing with this, that they are not, uh, you know, that they, they don't have the studios on board. So they're they're taking less from their cut, hoping to make money in concessions and stuff, I would assume, because they yeah. already have all these workers working at the cinema all day and it's empty. So, uh, you know, if they can get people in there to potentially buy soda and popcorn, you know, they'll make more money even if they're making less off the ticket price. That, that's what I would think. And mm -hmm. that, that's definitely MoviePass's uh, argument is right now MoviePass is $10 a month. You've heard us talk about it. You can see as many movies as you want, one movie a day. Um, but uh, they, they are basically have a, master, uh, a MasterCard and 
the the movie theater makes full price the studio makes full price movie pass is losing money uh supposedly they're selling customer data and stuff like that but all the analysts think that they're not making money off this and you know these movie theater chains like amc think that it's only a matter of time before movie pass you know goes out of business uh and then they they're worried that moviegoers will you know, have devalued the cinema experience because they've been paying $1 to see, you know, as many movies as they want a month. Um, so th- I, I guess the question is with, with dynamic pricing, how can, how can they get more people to see movies? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, that, yeah, man, it's a tough one. Uh, and, and it's, it's without precedent too, right? Cause this, something like this, uh, as the uh, the CEO of Regal said, you know, the industry is pretty static when it comes to experimentation with stuff like this. You know, theater chains don't really make moves like this very often. Um, if ever, they they pretty much just stick to what's worked in the past. So we don't really have um, examples of this kind of testing on, on this scale before. So it's tough to say like, oh yeah, this has worked in the past because I don't even think they've really tried anything like yeah. this before. And it should be said, uh, Slash Home editor, managing editor Jacob Hall was so against the idea of um, movies having tiers of pricing because he thinks if you know you did that, then, peop- then the society at large would look down upon a film like The Big Sick. You know, it is a lesser than movie than Star Wars. But I think, honestly, the general public at large are already... Th- has that kind of tears in in their head when when you rent a movie on iTunes or you know buy a movie digitally, you're paying much less for a lower budget independent movie than you are paying for a top tier Disney film. Um, so I think there's already kind of those tears. It's just uh, and we're already paying them at home. It's just interesting because when you go to the movie theater, it's still kind of a physical experience in the fact that the movie theater has to dedicate that screen for that movie for that two hours. Um, so online, it's just a download and it doesn't matter. You know, the download is a download, but in, in a theater, uh, the theater is uh, investing the two hours of that theater for that movie. And if it's not selling tickets, then, you know, they've wasted their, 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 um, location. Um, so if if there's any way that they can get more people in that box for those two hours, and more people buying popcorn and drinking soda, uh, I think it's in the benefit of everyone, including the filmmaker. Um, especially if they're getting the same cut, um, which I don't know is the case or not. Uh, any final thoughts on this, guys? I'd love to see what filmmakers are saying about this. If they if they are looking from you know at this whole situation from a different perspective that we haven't really considered yet, I'll have to sort of scan around and see if we can find um, you know Kumail Nanjiani and people like that mm-hmm. who who you know made yeah. the big sick actually uh, wondering about what this might mean for um, the way that things work in the future. And Kumail, uh, as many, many people know, sold his movie to Amazon. Uh, they had a huge offer from Netflix apparently, and he wanted the movie to be shown in theaters. So, I mean, filmmakers want this film going experience in theaters, but um, it's going to be interesting to see where the evolution and the, where this movie theater experience is going, because I think it's going to have to change for for, uh, us to get more people into that, into those little boxes to see movies, you know, projected on light on a wall. Um, 
I don't know. It'll be interesting. Uh, if any of you are near one of those Regal uh, chains when they start doing this testing in early 2018, so in a few months, uh, let us know because I want I want to know how this is how this is working. Um, but that does it for today's episode. Uh, you can find more of my work at Slash Home. You can find more of Ben at Ben Pears. You can find more of HT at HTran Bowie in the Millennial Falcon podcast. You can find this podcast published every day on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, all the popular podcast apps. Uh, you can go to iTunes, give us a rating, give us a review. That helps us out quite a bit. And if you have a question for the mailbox, send it to peter at slashfilm.com, and we will try to get to it when we can. Thank you for listening, and we'll, we will see you tomorrow.